I'm going to start with the verse, uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, the first verse. And then I'll let you sit down. For this cause, I, the Paul, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul and Timothy, okay, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi. The part that I want to point out in this verse is, he refers to himself as Paul the prisoner. Paul the prisoner. So I'm going to talk on that topic a little bit this morning. You can be seated if you wish. As I thought on this topic, I, I happened to think about my dad. What a wonderful guy he was. I was so privileged to have a father that um, had such a wonderful spirit that he had. But I don't think those things just happen overnight. I just don't think you become a wonderful person because it's in your genetics. I think the things in our life change who we are. Some for the good and some for not so good. But let me tell you a little bit about my dad. Um, in, he entered into the service during World War II. And much like many men that entered in, there was a certain amount of prestige of putting on a uniform, serving your country, and going overseas. But most men, like my dad, had no idea what they were going to get into. They had no idea of where they were going to be sent or what they were going to be facing. I think my dad's character was really shaped in, through his experiences. All I know as a young child is that um, he had been captured and put in a prisoner of war camp during that, uh, in Germany during World War II. But I never really got to hear the whole story because it was something that he never really wanted to talk about. All I know is that he could not sleep in a room with the curtains closed. He could not be in a place that was black. He would tear the curtains down and he would scream during the night. And so I, I found out as I, um, he's, he grew older, he started to open up a little bit more and told me the story. He mentioned the prisoner of war camp and how he was taken to, uh, with the rest of American soldiers to unload rail cars for the Germans. And uh, most of them were really starving. They, don't, they didn't feed them well. And so they started to pilfer a little bit of the flour that they would be unloading from the cars. And one of the soldiers, that American soldiers, possibly for a favor from the Germans, turned him in. And they caught him with flour in his pockets. And at that point, they shipped him from the prisoner of war camp to um, a concentration camp. And that's where he was till the end of the war and they were liberated. I know that when he came out, we had some pictures of him. He looked just like you would imagine a person would look like coming out from that. But it, it, the experience, as bad as it was, changed his whole perspective of life. I want to tell you that when you're under the gun, so to speak, in more than one way, 
when it seems like the rock of oppression is crushing you under its weight, God is having his will in you. I, I think of the scripture in 1 Peter 4.12, uh, where Peter's saying, think it not strange, the fiery trial that has come upon you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. We are changed by the environment that we inhabit. And so, as time went on, Vietnam started. And I had a, a stepbrother named Danny who had already enlisted in, in the army. And he was uh, stepped on an IED. And he survived, and, but he was totally um, crippled um, after that for the rest of his life. And it wasn't a long life. But I and my brother began to feel the same way. We felt the responsibility. We wanted to be like dad. I wanted to be like dad. I respected him so much. His character, even when he taught me to fight. I remember I got beat up at school. Well, I got beat up. Somebody punched me in the gut and knocked the window out of me. And I said, dad, how do I handle this? You know how he handled it? He says, okay, put your hands up. I'm going to teach you how to fight. And just like a snake would jump out, he shot his arm out and slapped me in the face. And I said, Dad, wow, that hurt. He says, that's the first lesson. It's going to hurt. When I became a Christian, when I signed up to follow Christ, I began to realize to be an effective warrior in this battle against darkness it was going to hurt. And I might as well get rid of every preconceived idea that I might have had that the enemy was going to be kind to me and that he was going to give me any leniency. He was out to destroy me. So I had enlisted in 1972 and, uh, and as my brother had and. I remember the look on my dad's face of terror. And uh, I can look at through his perspective now, and I can sort of feel what he was feeling. And of course, thank God I never made it to Vietnam, but uh, I did get my records a number of years later. I just wanted to, just for looking back. And this is what I found. My dad had written a letter to my commanding officer. And it was in my file. And I thought, oh no, what am I going to find in here? He was pleading with my commanding officer to please watch out for me, his son. His experiences put inside of him a love for me. Protective love. Now, when I say don't think it's strange, the fiery trial, those things that happen to us affect how we relate to other people. All of a sudden, we just don't have sympathy for them in their trial. We have empathy. In other words, we can understand a little bit of what they're facing. Now, I want to get into a little bit about Paul today. And I thought it was very appropriate that we we're talking about Saul this morning. 
I have to tell you before I start that when you look at the Jewish tradition back in the time of Christ, many felt that, especially even in the Old Testament, you could see it with Job, that prosperity was associated with favor from God. That's why when Job was going through all those things, what have you done? God always blesses. If you're cursed or you're struggling, God's mad at you. And that same thing followed on into the traditions of the New Testament. And so um, I look at Paul. He was a, he's a great man. But I, when you stop to look at his biography, 27 books in the New Testament, 16 were written by Paul. 50% of the book of Acts is about Paul's life and what Paul did. 50%. 25% of the 16 books he wrote were written from a prison. The book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians. And at least seven times in his writings, he refers to himself as the prisoner of Christ. Paul's ministry started in 37 AD, and it went to 67 AD. Of those 29 years of his ministry, six of them were in prison. At least six of them were in prison. He spent two years in Caesarea, in prison, he spent another year in captivity from Caesarea on his trip to Rome as a prisoner. He spent two years in Rome before his death. So when he had his greatest revelations, wasn't necessarily through his three missionary journeys. Yeah, he preached, he was a good preacher, but the depth of theology, the depth of the wisdom of God comes forth from the time he was imprisoned in Rome. Until the culmination of all things and he was killed on the chopping block in Rome. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16, again I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this. But even if you do listen to me, as you would do to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool. And since, other, since other boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with them. Someone enslaves you, takes everything down. Let me tip up this page here so I can get to see this. Takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we have been too weak to do that. But what do they dare to boast about? I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? 
so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? Paul is saying that, yes, the ministry that I have is powerful. And yes, the authority that I possess is sometimes interferes with the pride of others. But I have something to back up on my ministry, and that's the things that I've endured. He writes to, uh, to a letter to the Philippians in Philippians 1. And I'm going to read that to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus and Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace be to you from God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now remember, he's writing this from a jail cell. This is one of the prison books. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until right now. Being confident in this, that who, he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started. He's not going to desert you. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that you love, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Two things there, knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge, you know, in the, in the Bible, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom. You ever know what the difference between those two are? What's the difference between the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom? The word of knowledge is something that God gives you uh, some supernatural insight that you couldn't know by yourself. 
Now that's great, but it's not enough without the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom knows, tells you how to handle that word of knowledge. Wisdom comes through experience and through divine insight. And so many times we do not get that divine insight without experience. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless to the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes from Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, notice the last two verses. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's what it's all about, by the way. You ever hear the verse in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose? Here you see it. It advances the gospel. It's not about you, and it's not about me. Why we're here today isn't that we didn't have any other place to go, and we're just looking for a blessing or a good song to sing. It's all about the ministry that God has placed us in as we are warriors in the cause of Christ. That's why we're here. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I titled this message today, Are You a Prisoner of Your Circumstances or a Prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a difference. Some people get paralyzed or tied down or affected by the things that they're going through. The carnal things of life. But if you look at it different way, differently, I am not a prisoner of my situation. Because he who the Lord says free is free indeed. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Do you know in all his letters, Paul not one time referred to himself as a prisoner of Rome. He was not a prisoner of the Jews. He never does that. He always over and over again says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. My Lord leads me where he would have me go. You know, I, I was thinking about the 23rd Psalm as I was laying in bed this morning, and I thought, look at the verbs in that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me. Ever think about that? He made me lie down in green pastures. And then he leads me beside still waters. What do you do when you lead? It's like you're pulling somebody. I'm leading that person. He, and he, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. In other words, he's leading me. He's making me. Why should I fear? For he is with me. I'm his prisoner. I'm his son. You may have heard this story. I gotta have a drink here. My mouth is really dry. My daughter went to school in Whitewater University. Fortunately, we were able to have her stay at home, which saved us a lot of money. But I remember one one Friday night. She's 
20 years old now. You know, that's a ripe old age, right, for teenagers. And she was, she was so considerate. I and my wife had mentioned the other night, for all the things our family's gone through, how great our kids have turned out. She's always considerate. And no, there was no call at 11 o'clock, and I thought, this is really strange. I can understand her going out to be with friends, but she would always call. And then it was 12 o'clock. Now it was 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm panicking. I can't reach her. And I said, I prayed this prayer as a father. Lord, please protect my daughter. And immediately in the back of my mind, the voice spoke to me and said, do you think I'm not a good parent? Do you think you're a better parent than I am? Do you think that she's just your daughter? Now let me ask you a question. Do you think you're a better parent than God? If we're his children, isn't the scripture inferring that he's responsible for us? That he loves us? I'm a child of God. I think sometimes those prayers that we pray like that are to remind us that God is watching over them. So how do I handle that so I don't get God mad? You, well, you know what I said? I'm Irish, and I do silly things sometimes, and I blame it on being Irish. Because I got a little bit of a chastisement, I said, Lord, well, if that's the case, you take care of her, I'm going to bed. I did. It was like, Steve, it's absolutely true. You brought her before Lord, the Lord. You thanked him for watching over her. Now, let me give you an idea of how you can pray differently. So it doesn't sound that you know better than God. I start to pray, thank you, Lord, for protecting my daughter. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. And so I said, please do it. Because he said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you all the time. And sometimes I don't even know it. I was driving back from Minneapolis during Christmas break one year. And I was really anxious to get home to Milwaukee. But our cook, Sister, I should almost remember her name, Wasco, had asked me to bring some things back for her son, Brother Aaron, who was pastoring here. But she couldn't get them to me till later in the evening that night. So I didn't leave Minneapolis or St. Paul till 9 o'clock at night to drive back. And I wasn't really particularly fond of that, but I thought I would do it. Because it paid off in the lunch line. Really paid off in the lunch line. And she always made something special to make it worth my while. But anyways, I was driving back, and I had uh, got rid of the radar detector and got a CB because the radar detector was useless. And so after the second ticket, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm on, on my way back and on my CB, I hear this voice. It's a couple of truck drivers that are broke down. And um, of course, I drove semi during breaks. I was a semi driver for many years with my missions work. And I heard the guy saying, hey, listen, can somebody give us a ride? We're broke down. 
We're trying to get home for Christmas Eve. Um, we'd really appreciate a ride. Someone's going to pick up our truck, but we just want to get back home. And I pull over to the side of the road because I drove up on him. I said, okay, I'll pick you up. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, this will be all right. And then it was probably about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, maybe even a little later, and here they come out, and they really look rough. I would have loved to have you with me that night. Because when they came out, I thought, God, I don't know what I'm getting into. They didn't look like the normal truck driver. And I could hear my mother, you shouldn't pick up strangers. But I, I, I said to myself, God, you're in control. And so they came in the car, and there is a point to all of this stuff about God being with us. What a wonderful opportunity to witness. The one guy fell asleep in the back seat, but the person next to me talked to me. We talked about the Lord and salvation. And we, he lived somewhere by Wisconsin Rapids, so I had to jump off of 94. But the point is this. I had forgotten that I was going to fill up my tank in Black River Falls. And now it was probably about 1.30 in the morning, and here I was between Wisconsin Clover and Wisconsin Rapids somewhere in the, on Highway 10, I think it was, and nothing's open. Those were the days where you didn't have, you couldn't just use a credit card to buy gas. So he get out, got out of the car and um, still didn't know I was low on gas. And I said, Lord God, I feel so close to you, Lord. I feel your presence in this car so great. I think I could stand a miracle. Light up the sky. Do something. And all of a sudden, all the stuff on my vi visor, Brother Calhoun, fell down and hit me in the face. <laughs> And I inhaled sharply, and I felt my heart go into an irregular rhythm. And uh, I said, Lord, maybe not now. Maybe I'm not ready for this. <laughs> so here's what happened, and this is, this is true. I looked down at my gas gauge, and I said, oh, God, I'm on empty. And there, I don't know where I'm going to get gas. And I started to panic a little bit. I thought, I ain't going to make it much further. And I got on my CB, not expecting anyone to answer at 1.30 in the morning on Highway 10 in the middle of nowhere. And I said, does anybody know if there's a gas station that I could fill up at? Not expecting an answer. And all of a sudden, a voice, a real strong voice came over the PA. And he said, hey, uh, I, there's a gas station ahead of you about a mile and a half. And don't you worry, I'm right behind you. Now, that sounds good, but I hadn't told him where I was at. He had no idea what direction I was going. And if I was on Highway 10 or what highway I was on. So I, I, I said, thank you. And sure enough, about a mile and a half up the road, this gas station's open with nobody in it. Yeah, there's someone there, but there's no cars there. And I'm thinking, this guy must not have been able to sleep and came and opened the gas station for some reason because it's a total waste of time to keep it open. And so I pulled in, but before I, I pulled up to the pump, I wanted to see who it was that was behind me. No one. And then a voice said, you wanted me to light the sky. 
but you really needed gas. And, and so my point is this. When Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it isn't just a nice uh, disclaimer. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to feel that there's nobody around. There's nobody with you. Paul went through these things over and over again. But he learned that he could trust God even in the bad circumstances. All these things have come to pass in my life so that you could see my faithfulness and you could be emboldened. He talks about the converts in Caesar's house. And he said, if I can do this, you can do this. Are you, a, are you a prisoner of what you're going through? What's causing you trepidation? What's causing you fear? Don't you think that God might have brought you to that situation to build your strength, to make you strong? I'm looking at, Brother Calhoun, I'm thinking about where we were about four months ago. We had a, a beautiful building and we had more room and we all thought, oh, this is going to be tough and hard on our church. Are you kidding me? I believe it was the best thing that could happen because it brought us together. Struggle, persecution always brings people to a place of unity. That's why you, whoa, I wish we could have a revival like they had in the New Testament. Do you really want it? Do you really want to know how they had revival? They were through imprisonments and stonings and, and all these things. That drew them close together. You know, someday we may not even need a church building. They may not allow us to have one. But we'll always have each other. And so I'm going to sort of wrap this up with this point. that you're never, ever alone in your situation. And I challenge you to look past what you're going through and thank God for what he's doing inside of you. Do you know what made my dad great? All the things that he went through, all the things that he suffered, it gave him value of life and purpose. I preached a message a number of years ago about um, looking for the gold in your situations. And the message was basically, in every bad situation, God has always put a nugget of goodness. You know what the nugget usually is? It's not money necessarily. It's people. Those are the true nuggets of our faith. So next time you're going through a situation, think about it. What's here? Fratered Hospital, two years ago. I'm in there for arrhythmia on my heart. They're going to shock my heart back into rhythm. I feel great, but it's not beating right. And I'm in the hospital room, and I'm waiting, and I'm saying, well, Lord, there's gold here. This is fun now. You can make this fun. I said, Lord, all right. Nothing like a good Easter egg hunt. I know there's good here. 
Show me where it is. This Hispanic lady came into my room and she was going to clean and she said, sir, could I clean your room? And I'm on my laptop and uh, I looked at her briefly and I said, sure, you can come in. I'll just pick my feet up off the floor and put them on the bed. And then the thought came to me, maybe this is the goal. So I looked at her and I looked closely at her eyes and I noticed a tear in an eye. And I said, oh, hold on a second. Stop, stop. Can you tell me what that tear in your eye means? I'm looking for gold. I'm looking for something that God has placed me for. And when I get in these situations, I say to myself, I know you put me here for a reason. Now show me what it is. That's what Paul did. They meant it for my harm, but God meant it for my good. You may think that you're struggling and it's gonna hurt you. No, God meant it for your good and the good of others that you will affect. Well, she stopped and she looked at me and she said, she started to cry. I knew it, where there was one, there were gonna be others. And I said, tell me about it. And she said, sir, I can't do this on company time. I don't want to get into trouble. But can I come back to your room when I'm off work? I said, absolutely. Do you know she came back after she punched out that day? And we had revival in that room. And I said, thank you, God, for a heart that doesn't beat right. Thank you, God, for a hospital room that I can come to because the people are, that are hurting, I need to find them where they're at. They aren't going to stumble into our church building. Oh, sometimes they do. They might stumble through the door, but we need to go to where they're hurting. And God brings us to them through our circumstances. And I say, Lord, I'm your prisoner. I'm not a prisoner of my problems. I'm not a prisoner of the hurt that somebody gave me. I'm your prisoner. And I'm glad to be your prisoner. Would you stand with me? As I shared that story about my daughter, I want to tell you the same thing tonight. Or this morning, I should say. Do you know how much God loves you? Now stop. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Stop looking at all your faults and all your blemishes and saying, God could never love me. How could he love somebody like me? I used to say the same thing. But God doesn't look on just the outside. He looks on the inside. He sees what you can become, maybe not what you are. And he died for me, not because I'm a saint today. He died for me when I was a sinner. Even when I was living and using his name in vain, he still loved me. You get connected to God like that, and nobody will ever tear you away. 
Paul is saying, my relationship with Christ is not just a personal savior. He's everything to me. He is everything to me. And no matter where I go, no matter if I'm sitting in a jail cell or whether I'm getting plummeted with stones or I feel all alone and they've left me with no clothes to wear and my friends have forsaken me, God stands by me. Do you realize when Paul was imprisoned, I think it was in Philippi, he had, they had beaten him and they, no, they had arrested him because the mob wanted to tear him apart for bringing a, what they assumed a Gentile into the temple. That night, he was in prison for his own protection because the people wanted to tear him apart, to tear his limbs off. It says that night the Lord appeared to him and said, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm looking into your heart this afternoon. And I'm looking in your eyes and I want to tell you something. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Though he's with you always. Hold tight to the profession of your faith. You're for me. And lift up your head and be glad that God has saw in you what you did not see. You're valuable to him. You're valuable. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord God, in this room this afternoon, Lord, there are people that you love so dearly, Lord. I can't see everything that you see. I can't see the scars or the hurt. I can't hear the words that they say to you in the middle of the night and how the, they cry by themselves because they feel like they're destitute and all alone. But Lord, this afternoon, let your presence fall in this building, in this room, Lord. Let them feel the anointing and the presence of God. Let the tears fall. Oh, Lord, for precious in the sight of God are the tears of the saints. Could you lift your hands with me?